Good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you please open them to Isaiah chapter 58. Today is Freedom Sunday. It's a day we set aside as a church, but also it's a day nationally and internationally that an International Justice Mission has asked us to set aside to make our congregations aware of the, the tragedy of human trafficking and also to make us understand what it is our role in this as Christians, as a church. Modern-day slavery has been called the largest human rights violation in the history of mankind. It is a tragedy born out of the evil hearts of men that is real. It's not just a new story, and it should break our hearts. It's something we read about in articles. It's something we hear about in the news. It's something we see TV shows and movies about. But like many things out there that are, that are big ticket issues for many of us since we don't live in the middle of them they're distant and that's been true for me this has been an issue that, that is distant for me I don't nor have I ever lived in a major city where this kind of thing is taking place in America I don't know anyone or have any family connections with anyone who's been affected by this or has lost somebody to this I'm not well connected internationally, so I'm not in contact with a lot of people who live in the nations where, where these, are, these are big prominent issues. So in a sense, I have to confess that this has not been a front burner issue for me as a pastor or as a Christian man. And though when I hear about it and I see things about it, I see a video like we saw there, or, or we, I, I, I see it as evil and I, I hate it and I believe it's wrong, I have to confess, it's not been on my mind very often. It's not been on my heart very often. And it's not been in my prayers very often. So when Cheryl approached me back last winter and talked to me about doing a, a move-a-thon to raise money and to raise awareness for International Justice Mission, which is a group that, that fights against this issue, for me, and what it has been throughout this whole process, and especially this week, as I really had to get down into it and think about this, it's been like God grabbing me by the chin and forcing me to look at it. And it's been like God grabbing our church in rural Indiana and forcing us to look at this issue. And as I prepared my message this week and as I thought about it and I prayed about it, this thing just kept reverberating in my head that, I'm pro-life. I say I'm pro-life, right? I, I, I vote pro-life. I, I value and support Crisis Pregnancy Center in Terre Haute, which is an organization that, that, that fights for, for pro-life. And, and, and I, I'm pro-life. So why do I care about this? Why isn't it on the front burner for me? Why? What is that? Because this is a very pro-life issue that we're talking about here. And you have to hear that and understand that. It's about recognizing and, and upholding the value and well-being of other people who were created in God's image. And that realization for me has been very convicting. I've been on my knees saying, God, I'm sorry. Why didn't I care about this before? 
Why has this bothered me like it should before? And I'm going to wager that many of you are in the same exact boat that I am. For me, it brings the verse James 4.17 to my mind. It should be on the screen where James says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Man, that's a killer verse, isn't it? All of a sudden, it's not just what you do, it's what you don't do. It's the sin of omission. And many of us have been omitting a heart for people in our Christianity. A heart for freedom. A heart for justice. A heart for God's kingdom come. Some of us just don't go there. But we love Jesus. In my mind, the very least I could do in regards to this tragedy as a pastor and a person who professes to be a believer in Jesus and a follower of him, the very least I can do is, is to pray. That would be the, the right thing to do when I think about James 4, 17. I need to be praying. And I've been failing to do that. At the very least, I could be doing as a pastor is uncovering this sin and showing it to you as a church so God can begin to work in your hearts. That would be the right thing to do. The very least I could be doing is finding out who is fighting against this evil and seeing what I can do to help with that fight. That would be the right thing to do. So this morning, that's what I intend to do with this message. My goal this morning is to help you, church, and help me as we look into God's word. My hope is that, that we see that our action or our inaction in response to human trafficking, and, and I'm focusing on that issue because that's the day, but it can be many other issues. But human trafficking, when it comes to fighting against this, our action or inaction directly affects our relationship, our intimacy with God. And with seeing that, all of a sudden, this is no longer a distant issue. It puts it right square in your lap and in my lap. Because what we do in response to God's word here will affect our relationship with the Lord. We want intimacy with God? We better chase after the heart of God. And where's the heart of God? He loves people. He does things for his namesake, for his glory. And so what does that look like in regards to human trafficking? That's where we gotta go. It's no longer a distant issue. It's nothing you can just write off. Now it's in our laps. And that's where I want us to go this morning. Jesus came to do the will of the Father and we are to be about following Jesus as Christians. It's, it's why we fight sin, because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So we fight sin in our life every day, right? That's what we do. It's, it's why we love people, because Jesus came and he loved others and Jesus loved us. And so we want to take the love that Christ has given us and just like him, share it with other people. Because we're following Jesus, right? It's why we pray. Because the Lord says, I do the will of my Father. And so we pray, Lord, help us to do your will. And on and on I could go with that. We go after the heart of God. We care about what God cares about. We love what God loves. And we hate what God hates. To have a closer, more intimate relationship with our God, we need to understand we must be about the things of God. It makes no sense to say you love God, but you don't care about what angers him. 
You do not care what grieves him. You don't care what brings him joy. How can you say you love him if you don't care about those things? Today we're going to see this in Scripture as God points this out to his people. But before, before we get to Isaiah 58, and we're going to work through that whole chapter, I want to share with you some facts about human trafficking because I want to, to put these in your head as, before we go to the Scripture so you have this, this context, okay? And I got these from a blog post that was, I've, I've, sa- I've actually saved this for many years just because it, it gripped me. And I forgot about it. It's written by a guy named Joe Carter. He's a Christian author and a pastor. And, and so these, these stats are just, the numbers are a little old, maybe like five years. But I want you to see the grievousness behind this. I want you to see this. And so the first thing he has, I've got seven of them here. Modern day slavery, also referred to as trafficking in persons or human trafficking, describes the act of recruiting, harboring, transporting, providing, or obtaining a person for compelled labor or commercial sex acts through the use of force, fraud, or coercion. So that's what we're talking about here. That's, that's a good working definition of human trafficking. And then, then we get to the next thing. There are more slaves today than were seized from Africa in four centuries of the transatlantic slave trade. So 400 years of kidnapping and buying and selling slaves, 400 years of that, we have now more slaves today than they got in 400 years. That's the reality of the situation. They saw the number on the screen there, and this is a current number. There's estimated more than 45 million people in bondage today. How does that not bother us? It should bother us. It should break our hearts. Number three, for most of human history, slaves were expensive. The average cost being around the equivalent of $40,000 per slave. Today, the average slave costs $90. That's the value of a human life in the slave trade today, about 90 bucks. A 2003 study in the Netherlands found that on average, a single-sex slave earned her owner at least $250,000 a year. This is business for people. Number five. Number four, I'm sorry. Trafficking in persons is estimated to be one of the top grossing criminal industries in the world, only behind two, illegal drugs and arms trafficking, with the traffickers profiting an estimated $32 billion a year and selling people. Number five, nearly half of all incidents investigated in the U.S., nearly half of them involved allegations of adult prostitution. That's 48%. 40% of those cases involve prostitution of a child or child sexual exploitation. And 14% in America were forced labor. Number six, trafficking of children in Asia, which is the most prominent place for this. Um, much Asian sex tourism, whatever that is, features children and minors of both sexes. In India, children are maimed to be more effective beggars. So the person who owns the child rationalizes that if he puts them on the street to beg for money, people are more likely to give to a blind kid than they will a kid with eyes, so let's take his eyes out. Our people are more likely to give to a kid with one leg, so let's cut off his leg, or his feet, or his hands. That's happening. Does it bother you? Is it a spiritual issue, or is this just something that's not our problem? 
In China, babies are trafficked for adoptions abroad with boys commanding more money than girls. In Sri Lanka and Myanmar and the Philippines, children are trafficked as child soldiers. This last one got me as a dad. The average age a teen enters the sex trade in the U.S. is 12 to 14 years old. According to Shared Hope International, which is an organization that studies this stuff and tries to keep people aware, children exploited through prostitution in the U.S. report they typically are given a quota by their owner of 10 to 15 buyers per night. Though some service providers report girls having been sold to as many as 45 buyers in a night during peak seasons, like the Super Bowl and other conventions where people gather in cities. Utilizing, taking those statistics and utilizing a conservative estimate, a domestic minor sex trafficking victim who is rented for sex acts with, with five different men per, per night for five nights per week on an average of five years of their victimization means they've been raped 6,000 times in five years. That's happening in America. And we're not praying about it. We're not talking about it in church. It's not a part of your Christianity. That's convicting to me. It bothers me. Like abortion or murder or other sins that are done to destroy a person's humanity, Human trafficking is a tragedy and it strikes against the very heart of God. And this should break our hearts, it should drive us to our knees and readjust our focus on, on, on the ways we think about how we're going to please our God. That's where our hearts need to be. How do we please God in this? So now let's go to Isaiah 58. Now you have the context. Now you, have, now you know where I'm at. Isaiah 58, we're going to go through the whole chapter. Let's start in verse 1. God is speaking to Isaiah. He's telling him what to share, the message to share. And he says, cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. And so God is telling the prophet Isaiah, you need to preach this message to my people. Open their eyes to their sins. Let them see. Help them to see what's wrong here. Help them to make it known. Because many times, though we love the Lord, we do not see that our hearts are not right before the Lord. We can be doing all of the right things and saying all of the right things, but to do this even though there is neglect in our hearts to care for the things that God cares about. There are many Christians who fall into that category, and we need someone to open our eyes to our sin. So let's go to verse 2. This is what God says about these people. Yet they, they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgments of their God. They, they ask me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So God says, there's sin here, even though they're seeking me daily, and they want to know me, and they want to be close to me. That sounds like pretty good people. That sounds like our hearts, right? We want to know the Lord. We want to read the word. We want to pursue him. That's why you're here this morning. He's saying, yet they're doing all that stuff. There's sin there. There's something there that they need to see. He implies that there's something missing in the midst of all this good seeking. He says they do these things as if. You catch that? 
They do these things as if they were a nation that did righteousness. And they didn't forsake the judgment of God. There's some self-delusion going on here. They're doing all these things and they're forgetting that they've got some sin and it's in their hearts and they need to see it and they need to do something about it because it's displeasing. And this shows me that this means our Christianity is not just a matter of our desire for God. You know, as a pastor, you get up here and you think, okay, how can I, how can I stir their hearts? How can I get them to love Jesus more? The worship team, how can we get them to sing louder? How can we get them to participate? That's a big part of it. We're here to stir you up and point you to God's word. But it's not just about your desire for God. God is saying there's something else here. He's saying to these people, your inactions and your hearts, and we're gonna see this, speak louder to me than your words and actions. Let me say it again. Your inactions and your heart, what you're omitting, what you're not doing, and your heart is speaking louder than you're seeking me and the things you were doing to seek me. They don't see that. They don't get it. He says, what I judge to be right and wrong, you've forsaken that. You don't hate the things I hate. You don't love the things I love. And it affects their relationship with the Lord in a a terrible way. Look at this in verses three and four. He says, he's quoting them now. This is what the people, so the people would be saying, well, why have we fasted and, and God, you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and and you take no knowledge of it? And then God speaks to this. He says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. So God quotes the people. They don't understand why God has not responded to their devotion and their fasting. They've set aside, how many of you have set aside a day to fast this week? Just ask him. That's what they're doing here. Their, their day of devotion, God says, is not, it's, it's not fruitful, and here's why. Because even on the day of your devotion, a day you set aside to pursue me and honor me and seek me, you still seek to please yourselves. You oppress all of your workers. He gives some examples. You oppress all of your workers. You are selfish and and, and it shows in your violence and in your quarreling. You hit with a wicked fist. Sure, you may want to know me more and you may want to know the blessings of knowing me more and you set aside a day fasting, but you do all this while not loving others. And, And God says, there's a consequence for this. There's a damaging that's being done to the relationships here. He says, I will not hear your voice. You want to know why I'm not answering your prayers? You want to know why I've not sent revival? You want to know why I'm not giving you healing? You want to know why I'm not blessing your family and providing for you? You want to know why? Because your hearts are not right before me. That's what he's saying. What do you think their response to that message was? I mean, these are, the, these are God's people. In today's context, they'd be the good church people the ones who are faithfully seeking. He's saying, you're in your seeking, there's something missing. Look at verse five. He says, is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? So God reminds them through a question. Isn't, isn't the fast that honors me one that where you humble yourself before God and man? 
Isn't that the way, what you're doing? Are you really gonna call this a fast? Because that's not, not the, the fast that, that, that honors me. He says, what you're doing isn't acceptable at all. And I have to ask us, how many of us are guilty of this kind of thing? In general, before we even get to human trafficking, how many of us are guilty of this? You know, we read our Bibles and, and we, we pray and we, we attend church faithfully and we say we long for revival to come. Some of us are there, I hear you say it. But, but we still elevate ourselves in our hearts and our minds above other people. We still treat other people poorly. I mean, this, the, how do you treat your children, parents? Are they little dogs to kick around? Or do you love them and treat them like people? How do you treat your spouses? How do you treat your coworkers? How do you, bosses, how do you treat your employees? Kids, how do you treat your parents? We say we love the Lord, but then many times we treat people and we feel like people are garbage compared to us. And we're so far above them. And we treat them that way. And we think about them that way. And we write them off as inconsequential. And then we wonder why God doesn't answer our prayers. And and we wonder why God doesn't send revival to our church. Maybe we're guilty of this. Maybe. I can remember when I was a kid. I was a teenager. I was a good church kid. What I mean by good church kid is I always came to church and I was very involved in youth group. I always served in church. I played bass in the worship band, and uh, I was very involved in things. I wore the T-shirt. I went to all the conferences and the concerts. I was very involved in it. And here's what made me a really good church kid is I was able to do all that while hiding my sin, okay? So the youth leaders are like, we love Ben, but they didn't know Ben. They didn't know who I really was. My parents, I was able to hide my sin really well from my parents. And there was a place where I was a totally different kid, I was this guy, and then I was this guy. But just like any sin that's in your heart, it shows itself eventually. I can remember my mom, because your parents are gonna see it. Guys, parents, kids don't think you're that smart. Kids, your parents are way smarter than, they think, than you think they are. That's just the truth of the matter. And my mom called me on this one time, and she did it in such a way that it just really ticked me off. I think I may have shared this, I don't remember, but she said, how can you be so serious about following Jesus and not care about honoring and obeying your parents? And of course, I heard that, and it just ticked me off. And I disrespected them even more. But I know she was right. And that's what God's doing here. He's basically saying, how can you be so serious about seeking me and following me and act like this to other people? You can't do that. And our message today is, how can we be so serious about following the Lord and seeking him out and not care at all about human trafficking? It doesn't add up. And now God is going to show these people in this next part of the text that he truly des- what he truly desires of them. What is an acceptable day of fasting, if you will. He's going to teach them that it's not enough to just focus on your own spiritual lives. And that's where a lot of us live. We live in this world where we gotta get ourselves right, and there's some truth to that. But at the expense of other people, when part of getting ourselves right is loving other people and reaching out to other people and caring about other people and praying for other people, that's part of being a Christian. It's not just about you getting your batteries recharged like a cell phone every day. That's not what it's about. There's a reason that God puts this here. 
We cannot ignore the well-being of others. That's why our church must care about Shelburne. We, we must care about these people that live in this neighborhood. We have to care about them and love them and be praying. We have to. You might be saying, well, I live in Farmersburg. I don't care about the show. I don't care. You go to this church. We love the people in Shelburne. That's what we do. We have to because that's the heart of God. It's why, it's why we must individually care about poor people and, and care about the oppressed. It's why we must care about issues that, that we see in the news that seem so distant and, and, you know, or things that have nothing to do with us. We have to care about abortion and adoption and racism and classism and immigration and refugees and domestic abuse and human trafficking. We have to care about all of these things as believers. You know why? Because they involve people and God loves people. So we have to care about these things. They're not just political issues. They're not just news stories. They're spiritual issues. So let's look at what God desires from his people. Look at verses six and seven. He says, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? What's he want from us? He wants us to fight against sin and the effects of sin on this world. It's not just about fighting your own sin. But we're to be kingdom bringers. We bring the kingdom of God into the world around us. We do what we can to free people from the grip of evil. We, we fight against oppression. We, we seek to break every form of it. We cannot turn a blind eye. We seek to share what God has given to us with other people. And we look for ways to, to, to care for these people. I love verse seven. I love the statement there. He says, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. God's saying, stop hiding from people. Stop turning a blind eye. Stop walking on the other side of the street. Stop ignoring the needs that are in front of you and the needs that you can do something about. Stop hiding yourself from your own flesh. That's what these people were guilty of doing. And we do it all the time, don't we? If it's inconvenient, we ignore it. If it's gonna take some of our time or our money or our resources, we avoid it. God's saying, stop that. Stop it. We can all fall very quickly into this trap of, of Christian self-absorption where, where all we care about is what directly affects us. But in doing that, we fail to be what God has called the church to be. Extensions of his heart to a lost, dying, and broken world. It's not just about what is happening to us here in Shelburne, Indiana, but it's what's happening in Asia. And though you may not be able to go there, you can go there in your prayers. You can be there today. You can bow your head and the power of prayer goes. And God responds to his people praying. And what births that prayer when you're praying for other people? It's a heart like God's. You're loving what he loves. You're caring about what he cares about. We gotta do it. And our negligence in this area it impacts our relationship with God. And so God, he takes this next section, he says, if you pursue a heart like mine, 
and intimacy with me that's based off of, of, of pursuing a heart like mine, there is blessing that comes with that. There is blessing that comes from knowing the Lord. There's blessing that comes from having an intimate relationship with the Lord. So let's read the rest of this chapter, and look what he tells these people. If you will just focus on, on what I love and what I care about, here's what happens. Verse 8. Then shall your light break forth. I'm sorry. Yeah. Then, your, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. And if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. As God's people seek to free the oppressed and love one another as we seek to feed the hungry and help the afflicted as we seek to obey him and seek to honor him by not just thinking of ourselves by not making our days of devotion like he uses the sabbath here as, as a day for our own desires but actually turn and seek the lord and love others and get rid of our selfishness then the lord promises to his people healing and answered prayer increased righteousness and continual guidance and satisfied desires and on and on and on he goes with the benefits of a relationship with God that is not hampered or hindered by our selfishness and a turning of the blind eye to the need of others don't you see for these people the very act of the spiritual devotion that left the Israelites feeling empty the lack of devotion to justice and mercy for the oppressed, the thing they weren't doing, God's saying, that's what's missing from your devotion. That's what it is. You want revival, but you're not loving other people. So I'm not gonna give it. You want restoration, but you're not loving other people. So I'm not gonna give it. That's the point he's making here. I want God's blessing in my life. I want God's blessing over my family. I want God's blessing in our church. And I want God to be honored by my praise and by my heart when he looks at me. And I would say that everyone in here wants that. If you don't, you're crazy. Who doesn't want God's blessing? So let us seek after his heart. Let us look at human trafficking and seek to please the Lord on this issue. If that's the issue of today, if that's what we're focusing on, let's seek to please the Lord on this issue. And so what I want to do, I want to put a face to the story. It's one thing to tell you all the statistics, but it's another thing when you see the people, the real people who are affected by this. So I don't usually do this, but we're going to show a video. It's about seven minutes long. It's the story of a boy named Kumar. And Kumar was, was in slavery, and we get to see what International Justice Mission did. You can see the good that God does through this ministry. 
And so we'll go ahead and let's watch this video together. You're working 14, 18 hour days with very little sleep, no freedom, dignity is taken away from them. And, and that's something nobody should have to endure. We had a number of years ago, two of the bond laborers escaped from a facility. And they were tracked down by the owners of the facility and, and brought back. And as a punishment for what they had done, their hands were chopped off. We would go to the government officers and we'd say, sir, there is a bonded labor case. And almost always the response was, there is no bonded labor in my area. What are you talking? How much? 30? Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid. Rujira, there's a girl who's very afraid. Almost unable to walk. This is Kumar. He was abandoned by his mother, and his father was suddenly killed. Orphaned and alone, he was accountable for his parents' debts. And at just seven years old, he was forced into slavery. Kumar remembers a day where he was so ill he couldn't get out of bed. Immediately, his owner came looking for him. Kumar was trapped by debt and a slave owner who beat him continuously. He, like so many, had no remaining hope for a way out. IJM discovered the horrific conditions in the brick factory where Kumar and others were being forced to work against their will. And, based on their undercover video evidence, local government authorities and police came alongside IJM to conduct a rescue operation. The more and more we are doing these rescues, people are getting aware that people are being abused. There is bonded labor, there is trafficking. Also, the law is going to take its course as well as perpetrators go behind. When the team arrived in the morning and entered the brick factory, 15 men, women, and children were rescued and given their freedom back. Then, they were each given a certificate to prove that they no longer owe any debts to their former owner. And one was for Kumar. 
After being rescued, IJM placed Kumar in their aftercare program to heal. You'd ask him a question anytime, no matter what, and he would say, the one thing I want to do is I want to study. He was clear about that. And then they enrolled him in school for the first time. Today, he is studying to be a social worker to help those still suffering like he did. And what we do at IJM is we go look for that lost sheep, that girl that's being abused, that widow who's been run out of her home. And we will search for her until we find her. That's how our Father has loved us. That's how we are called to love others. Not to search for them until we've satisfied ourselves. Not to search for them until it gets really hard. But to go after them until we find them. To be relentless in our love. Jesus Christ freed us from slavery. And now we wave the gospel around saying, no more debt. I'm free. I'm free. So we get this. Don't we? And just like with the gospel, what do we do? We pray. We pray for others to know the freedom that we've known. We remember. We remember the gospel, we remember how Jesus saved us. We sing about it. We, we pray about it. We preach about it. We tell others about it. And then we share. We share our resources for the rest of our lives to proclaim the freedom of Jesus Christ that we've been given to other people. And this is all a foreshadow of what Jesus has done. So how do we respond to what we see when we see flesh and blood slavery happen? The same way we pray. I want to challenge you today to go and make this a part of your prayer life and not just say, okay, we'll pray today and then I'm not going to do it. Be strategic about it. If you have a list, IJM goes on the list. These people go on your list. You pray that God move in this world and in this. You pray for those who are going in undercover and, and trying to stop this. You pray. And then you remember, we got to stop turning a blind eye about this and, and we need to read about this issue and understand this issue. Go to International Justice Mission's website. There's tons of good stuff there. Read other books about it. Keep it at the forefront of your minds so you don't forget. Because it's worth remembering. And then partner or share. We saw the thing during the offering. We're going to have out there on the table, there's a bunch of flyers. Cheryl's going to be out there. You can become what they call a freedom partner, where you're giving some of the dollars that God has given you. By the way, this is just a quick theology of money. God gives you money to glorify him, not you. So you take some of the dollars that God has given to you to bring glory to him by sending it off to fight this. 
and become a partner and do that. Those are three responses we can do today. I want to challenge you as a church to do that. Wrestle with these things. Go by the table and grab the flyer. Read about it. Think about it. But don't ignore this. We're going to have a time of worship. We're going to sing. And just like at the end of every church service, this is a time for you to respond to God's word. Whatever God is working in your heart because of his word, you can respond to that. Or if you have cares you want to cast before the Lord, you can do that too. But maybe this morning you need to specifically repent of areas where you have neglected the needs of others because you're always focused on yourself. And we see the heart of God is that we're to focus on others and love others. So maybe, maybe you need to repent of that this morning. And whatever you need to do to respond, we're gonna give you that time. So let's, let's pray. Father, glory to your holy, holy name. You are worthy of our attention. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our obedience. And I pray, Father, you quiet every mind in here. And let us listen to your word as it rings true in our hearts. Let us remember the words from Isaiah 58 to stop hiding from our flesh and blood. That we can be like a garden that's, that's watered and springs forth as we bless other people and then receive the blessing of God and then turn and that, give that blessing out to other people and on and on we go as we are conduits of your kingdom. Lord, we pray for that in this church. I pray for that in my life. I pray that you're glorified by the worship here. I pray that you hear the prayers that are cried out here. Let us be a people that seek your heart. I praise things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.